He was an incredibly charismatic leader. In fact, if you spent any time with him or watched him, you'd think that he was sort of immune to the temptation everybody else experienced until it became apparent that he wasn't. He wasn't immune at all. In fact, when he fell, he fell hard. He'd been keeping hidden sin in his life for a while, and it all came to light. You know, the saddest part of the description I just gave you is I'll bet you most of you had somebody in your mind before I finished that. And the reality is, sort of like a Mad Libs, remember when you were a kid, you could fill in the blanks with different words? You can probably think of several who could fit the description that I just gave you of different leadership. A pastor, a singer, a politician, a business leader who fell, uh, a community leader, caught in an affair, uh, and, and wrapped in a financial compromise, an unscrupulous business deal, and on it goes. Today I want to talk about the high cost of sin. Would you turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 7 with me? Joshua chapter 7, you may wonder, well, Pastor, you know, wow, I'm so glad I came to church today so we can talk about this. But we go through the books of the Bible here and we see, we, we touch on the, the tough parts as well. And Joshua 7 is a hard passage to read because Joshua is full of victories, isn't it? We just come off this incredible victory with the conquering of Jericho. And now we have a bitter, bitter defeat. And wrapped in the midst of this defeat is the sin of one individual that impacts so many others. Um, I think that we can all agree, and it's important that we begin here, I think, recognize that none of us are immune from sin. We're in a room full of sinners. Though anybody watching online, those watching the courts today, we're, we know that we're sinners. But we cannot allow the commonality of our sin uh, uh, cause us to underestimate the gravity of sin and the heartache that it can cause, right? And so that's why we look here. By the way, before I dive into this passage uh, and, we, and we look at some wonderful solutions, let me give you some other good news. This evening at 5 p.m. at our North Katy campus, I want to invite you to come and to pray with me. We're going to have a time of prayer and praise, last a little over an hour, and just seek the face of God. It seems like really good timing to come together and to pray. And so I want to invite you to join me tonight at 5 o'clock. I recognize lots of our church family are traveling, so I don't want to guilt you in anything. But if there's some who feel, uh, feel led like I do to come together and pray, I'd just love to join join uh, in, in some time of prayer with you. So thank you for that. So let me bring you up to speed here. After the conquest of Jericho, Israel had very clear instructions, as you recall, that they were to destroy most of the city. They weren't to keep anything for themselves. The only thing that they were to hold back are some precious things, gold, silver, iron, etc. And that was to be held for the Lord's treasury. Everything else was to be destroyed. Very specific instructions. So what happens next? Well, from Jericho, the next uh, town that they come across that they're supposed to do battle with is Ai, A-I, Ai. And, and so Joshua sends some scouts to check out Ai. These scouts come back and say, hey, this is not that big of a town, not a big enemy, so we just need to send a few thousand 
of our men against them. And so they do. And it turns out that they got their tails kicked. I mean, they ended up retreating from I bitterly. 36 men lost their lives because of that battle. And most of the time, what we do is we'd say, oh, well, I know why this happened. There was overconfidence. There was a lack of prayer, all these things. But in this case, God allows us to see behind the curtains. You know, sometimes we assume that bad things happen because of something we just kind of piece together, a simple point A to point B. And very often, there are other things that are happening behind the scenes that we don't get to see. In this case, we can see why it happens because God lets him know. So what happens is, look down at verse 10 of Joshua chapter 7. It says, the Lord then said to Joshua, stand up. Why have you fallen face down? Israel has sinned. They violated my covenant that I have uh, appointed for them. They have taken some of what was set apart. They have stolen, deceived, and put those things with their belongings. So what happened was, after this defeat, Joshua had fallen on his face before God and basically said, you know, God, why did you bring me out here if you're just going to hand me over to our enemies? Why did you even allow us to come into the promised land? And so God says, paraphrasing, Joshua, get up and stop whining. The reason this happened was because there was sin in the camp, and that sin must be dealt with. And so Joshua tells, God tells Joshua to go tribe by tribe, family by family, until he reveals who the culprit is by the casting of lots. And as it turns out, it is Achan from the tribe of Judah who'd taken items that were supposed to go into the Lord's treasury. And so you fast forward to verse 19, and you have this encounter between Joshua and Achan. You look on as I read. So Joshua said to Achan, my son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and make a confession to him. I urge you, tell me what you've done. Don't hide anything from me. Achan replied to Joshua, it is true. I've sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I did. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful cloak from Babylon, five pounds of silver and a bar of gold weighing a pound and a quarter, I coveted them and took them. You can see for yourself, they're concealed in the ground inside my tent with the silver under the cloak. And so Joshua sent messengers who ran to the tent and there was the cloak concealed in his tent with the silver underneath. They took the things from inside the tent, brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites and spread them out in the Lord's presence. So Achan thought he got away with it. It turns out he didn't. And what we see here in this interaction between Joshua and Achan is something that we see actually throughout the scripture of a common thread of sin. Now, I want us to spend a few minutes today and unpack the ingredients of sin. They're inevitable ingredients. In fact, uh, through the years, I've preached these same three ingredients from other passages because it's so consistent throughout scripture. And I think you'll find that when these come together, the enemy uses these as a strategy to allow people into a place of compromise and ultimately heartache and destruction. So it's sure going to be helpful to know what the enemy's doing and his strategy against us, isn't it? I want to share with you three ingredients of sin that always show up. And when these three come together, very often they lead to compromise. So here's the first ingredient I want you to see here. I want you to notice the first ingredient is anonymity. Anonymity. Achan had assumed that no one would know what he'd done and he'd concealed from those around him what had taken place and so he assumed he'd concealed it from 
the Lord. Look back at verse 21. Regarding the stolen goods, Achan confesses, they are concealed in the ground inside my tent. In other words, you can go back to the very beginning and you can understand the lie he's telling himself is no one will know. No one's ever going to know. He looks left, he looks right, nobody's there. He sees this incredible gift before him, this riches, this treasure, and he knows what's been told of him, what's been commanded. He says, but who is ever going to know? Listen, separation is a key ingredient to sin. When you're by yourself, you're in a place where nobody knows you, or worse, you don't think anybody cares about what you're going to do, man, you're in a dangerous place. The more isolated we get, the more anonymous we are, the better opportunity for sin. This is the first ingredient of sin, anonymity. Guess what happens when we, we sin and it seems like we're all alone? Uh, we look around, nothing happens. It makes us easier, it easier to go back into that sin. And when we go back into that sin, that inevitably leads to guilt and shame, which does what? It leads to more isolation. And so we have this vicious cycle. That's how the enemy uses isolation. You see, if you find yourself withdrawing, seeking isolation, that should be a huge red flag in your life. Folks, this is why the church, the body of Christ, biblical community is so important because isolation is the first ingredient of sin. Have you ever noticed when you're traveling almost anywhere in the country, you get out the airport, maybe you rent a car, you jump in the Uber or whatever, within a three-mile radius of every airport, you know what you see? You see the seedy, quote-unquote, gentlemen's clubs. That's what you see. They're always around the airport. Now, why is that? Well, maybe because the land is cheap, but I think there's a more important reason. I think they're there because they know there's lots of people who've flown into town. They're a long way from home, a long way from accountability, and so they think no one will ever know, and they just pull off there, and they check things out, and they fall into sin. They know what they're doing, right? So what do you do with the challenge of anonymity? Well, God gives a solution, and here it is. We combat anonymity with accountability. That's God's antidote. You see? Now, I sometimes use the word access here. I went back and forth on this, access or accountability. I think those are interchangeable here, and here's why. Sometimes we give the false definition of accountability to think that that's, uh, that's just um, conversations with individuals. So I, what I'm about to tell you, I highly recommend as a start. So uh, we talk about accountability partners or accountability groups, and maybe that's another guy that I meet with once a week, and I say, hey, have you looked at anything you shouldn't have looked at this week? He says, yes. I say, oh, have you said anything you shouldn't have said this week? Yes. And then we, we, we say, okay, that's great. Now, that's a good start, but that's not accountability. Do you know why? Because if you'll lie to God, you'll lie to your friend. If you'll lie to your wife, you're going to lie to anybody. And so we, we, we can lie to ourselves. And so accountability, as a start, is to have these conversations with people. But more importantly, they need to have access to every part of our lives. There should be no part of your life that is left unchecked where you can look around and say, no one will ever know. Do you see? That is so important. You have accountability. Uh, I have people in my life who know everything. Uh, you can have software. I have Covenant Eyes software on all my digital devices. Do you know why? I, there's not a stroke of the key that I don't have good friends that see that. My wife knows everything. I have friends know everything. Why? Because I don't ever have to worry now about saying, well, I guess... 
Nobody will ever know. You put, you put accountability in your life where there's visibility and access to everything. And it's incredible the freedom that you find in that. Do you see? It's a great gift that God gives us. Accountability leads to integrity. You know what integrity means? Integrity comes from the word integer, which means whole. It's wholeness. It means there's no compartmentalization in your life. You're not one person around your wife, one person around your friends, one person at work, one person at school, whatever it is. No, it's a whole. You have unfettered access from others in your life. The first ingredient that the enemy is going to use is anonymity. What's the antidote? It is accountability. And here's the second ingredient I want you to see for uh, sin. Once you have anonymity, now you can almost imagine a Venn diagram up here. You have anonymity and you have this other circle that leads in. When these two go together, you start to have a danger because then you have availability. No one will ever know. And there it is in front of me. Once you're isolated, when you have availability to the very thing that can bring you down, do you see how dangerous that can be? Look at, back at verse 21, verse three words. When I saw, Achan said, among the spoils, a beautiful cloak from Babylon, five pounds of silver, a bar of gold weighing a pound and a quarter, I coveted them and took them. Listen, the enemy knows exactly how to bait you. He knows. And unfortunately, we live in a world where the availability of sin is everywhere. I mean, it's just everywhere you turn. I watched the uh, NBA Finals this, this week, as all, I think, good Christians did. Uh, I, I was watching basketball. It was good, good com- uh, competition between kind of the smaller, quicker shooters and the, the bigger defensive-minded uh, Celtics. And so nice tactical battle either way. And I don't really have uh, a dog in the fight, so I, I enjoyed both sides and watching it take place. So uh, we see that. But you know what I found? There wasn't a commercial that went through that didn't have something to do with sin. I mean, it, it was like this, this uh, buffet. You have an issue with lust? Well, here you go. Uh, you have a concern about substance abuse? Have at it. You deal with materialism? Here you go. What about gluttony? We've got it all for you. Like every commercial break, that's what you had. Everywhere you turn, it seems, sin is available, right? Well, when you have anonymity and you combine that with availability, well, now you have a problem because not only does Satan know just how to entice you, he has a goal in mind for you as well. Remember John 10, 10, the beginning of it, the thief comes only what? To steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's what he intends to do. So we're isolated, then we're drawn into the bait so, that so easily entices us. What do you do? And here's the answer to availability. You combat availability with boundaries, with boundaries. Boundaries, incidentally, are not the same thing as legalism. Legalism is when we add rules to the word of God for everybody and and treat it as the scripture. We add to the scripture. That's not what we're talking about. You're making decisions that are going to help keep you from bondage. Paul put it this way. He said, everything is permissible, but I will not be mastered by anything. And so there are times when in my own life, I'm going to set boundaries in place that may not even be uh, applied to everybody. But I know in my heart before the Lord, as the Spirit leads me, this is going to help bring safety and joy in my life. I'm not just making rules to have rules. I'm not adding to the Scripture. But personal boundaries will keep you from falling into temptation. Have you ever been bowling with kids? 
One of the first things you do is what? You put up bumpers in the gutters because otherwise it's not very much fun for kiddos. I mean, they just keep bowling and running to the gutter. And, you know, after you have a few zeros, it's not, not so great. So you put the bumpers up. And moms and dads, if you're being real honest, you don't mind those gutters, right? They're for the sake of the kids, you know, quote unquote. But you like those. Have you ever had one of your kids tell you, mom, dad, I, I want to I put the gutters down. I mean, the bumpers down. I just want to play, you know, regular. Say, okay, so you take the bumpers down, and after about four or five gutter balls, what do you do? You put those bumpers back up. You find there's a lot more joy when you have the extra bumpers there. Listen, here's what I'm talking about. There are going to be times in your life where the Spirit of God is going to say, you need some bumpers, okay? You need some bumpers up, and it's going to bring joy to your life just to have some extra boundaries there uh, that, that God's going to lead you to. And it's a wonderful thing. Uh, a few gutter balls, and, and you're going to want those back up anyway, right? Listen, you probably can't eliminate all the availability that you have in your life for sin. At the office, at your school, in the culture, in, anywhere. What are the bumpers that you need? Is it uh, software? Is it media decisions that you need to make? Avoiding places and events that consistently lead you to old habits? What is it? Uh, there was a, a t- TV show about six months ago that several people recommended to us. And so uh, Lana said, hey, let's watch this show. And we started the show and we were about 10 minutes in. And, uh, and, and I, I said, turn it off. And, and uh, said, I don't, I don't need that in my life. And there wasn't necessarily anything that was directly just uh, related to us that made me want to run out and do something horrible. I said, why am I, why am I feeding this into my mind? So in my mind, I just said, I, I don't need this in my life. What is it? That you need to put bumpers up to, to help yourself. You, you notice if you look around the room today, there are exit signs all over the place. Have you noticed that? Those are put there because of code, but they're also a really smart thing. Most of the time you don't even notice them until what? Until you have an emergency. And when you have danger, that tells you, you don't just wander around, you're going to go toward those exit signs. That's what boundaries are supposed to do. You're putting exit signs into your life to say, when I'm in this place where there's danger, this is the direction I've already predetermined that I'm going to go. This is who I'm going to call. This is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to act. Okay, this is how I will respond. Boundaries, do you see? All right. Now, anonymity, we combat that with accountability. Availability, we combat that with boundaries. And finally, we see the third ingredient of sin Look back at our verse, verse 21. Look at Achan's confession. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful cloak from Babylon, five pounds of silver and a bar of gold weighing a pound and a quarter, look at these three words here. I coveted them and I took them. Achan coveted what he knew he wasn't supposed to have. The first word you can imagine up in this Venn diagram is anonymity. No one will ever know. Then you have this other danger the enemy brings together. Availability. There it is. But oh, when you bring this third ingredient in, now you have a problem. Appetite. Anonymity, availability, appetite. I see it and man, I want it. Pastor Eric Conley is preaching at the North Katy campus today, so we've been comparing notes about this passage as he preaches it. And we, we, uh, we ended up comparing notes about mousetraps. 
I think a lot of us have experienced sometime or other in our lives and setting a trap for a mouse in an attic or a basement or something like that. And when you do, I think uh, this is kind of common knowledge. It's sort of funny because the, 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 the universal uh, idea of bait for a, a mouse is what? Cheese. Cheese almost never works. Like who uses cheese? Cheese is, is, is what we talk about. But if, if you're not taking any notes, you just might want to write this down. Cheese does not work. It doesn't. No, I don't know who told me, you know, early on, you know what you can use? Anybody know? Peanut butter. Peanut butter works like, it's like the universal tempter for mice. You use peanut butter, man. You're going to catch you a mouse. I mean, it works almost every time. So here's the deal. Is a peanut butter, uh, dab of peanut butter, is it, is it dangerous to a mouse? No. Is it poisonous for a mouse? No. What it does, though, is bring down the defenses of a mouse so that that mouse enters into harm's way because of the peanut butter. Now, that's really important to understand when we think of appetite because the appetite that you have might not necessarily in and of itself be sin. You see? It's something, though, that you desire that you end up deeply desiring so much that you let your defenses down and you're willing to enter into sin. I want you to notice... The first two components we talked about were external. Anonymity, I mean, that's just the factors around you have you end up being isolated. Um, Availability, there's opportunities around you for sin. But it's this third component that is internal. The one that seals the deal is internal. He says, I coveted. The phrase comes from one Hebrew word, shamad. It means to desire or to covet, to take pleasure in, to delight in. It's an intense desire that he had for these things. In fact, at the very beginning, right before Eve took the the fruit in Genesis chapter 3, here's what we read in verse 6. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable. Same word, same Hebrew word, shemad, for obtaining wisdom. So, uh, she wanted wisdom. Is wisdom a bad thing? No. Nope. She wanted to have the same wisdom as God. She wanted to be like God. Is that a bad thing? Oh, you better believe it. Okay. Caused all kinds of problems. And that's what we see here. Listen, you can have all the temptation in the world, but that isn't what makes you sin. It's a deep desire for something besides God that draws you in and entraps you. James puts this really well. James chapter 1, verses 13 through 14. Listen to what James says. No one undergoing a trial should say, I'm being tempted by God, since God is not tempted by evil, and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire, and then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. When sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death by his own evil desire. That word desire there is is a Greek word that often is used by hunters or fishermen, the idea to be drawn in, to be drawn in. There's something that draws you in. So what is it that can cause you to sin? Is it beauty, popularity, riches, sexual satisfaction, escape? You know what's interesting about all the words I just mentioned? In the confides of God's plan, they're all good things. But we're drawn to those and something else happens. We become entrapped by sin. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had through the years with people who've experienced freedom in Jesus Christ from habitual sin who look back and say, you know what? I thought my problem was was fill in the blank, whatever that sin was. 
But in reality, it was a much deeper desire that I had to address that was keeping me from God. Rather than saying, I've got to quit drinking, I've got to quit doing drugs, I've got to stop looking at that on the computer, or whatever it is. It was something deeper that had to be addressed, and that's what the enemy's seeking to do, do you see? And so what's the fix when it comes to appetite? And here's the answer. You combat appetite with contentment. With contentment. All through the scripture, this is what we see. The truth is, you can have all the boundaries in the world... You can have uh, people who know what's going on in your life, but if you don't deal with the appetite and find your contentment in the Lord, you're going to find a way into the enemy's trap. You have to address the essence of the longing you have and turn in a direction away from that sin toward God's best for you. You see, the more you fill your life with the goodness of God, the less hungry you are for the things that are not of God. That's always the case. Have you ever eaten something that wasn't great for you, and if you were honest, didn't even taste that good, but it was the only thing available and you were hungry? I mean, you're stuck at the airport for several hours, and you say, you know what, never mind, I'm going to eat this entire box of Pop-Tarts. I mean, it doesn't even taste good after about a half a Pop-Tart, and you're kind of done with the Pop-Tarts, but you do it because it's the only thing available, and then you feel miserable afterwards. But if you go out to like a five-star restaurant, have a wonderful multi-course meal, you go home and you're so satisfied, somebody comes up to you and says, hey, would you like to eat this entire box of Pop-Tarts? You're going to say, no, thank you. Why? Because I am full. You see? If you want to take that illustration one step further, let's say, you know, you're, you're starving, you haven't eaten in a couple days, and somebody comes along and hands you a piece of moldy bread, Right? You're going to, you would say no right now, but in that moment, you probably just, you know what? I'm going to peel off the bad stuff. I'm going to hold my nose and I'm going to eat it because I'm starving. That would never work after a wonderful meal, would it? Why? Because you're satisfied. What the Lord is telling us over and over again is we find our satisfaction in him. We find our contentment in him. We find our joy in him. And then all these things that the enemy is intending to entice us with, they all of a sudden kind of are revealed for what they really are. And we don't want the moldy bread anymore. That's what God has for us. Do you see? We find our satisfaction in Jesus. So no matter what your situation, no matter how long you've been fighting those same temptations in your life, I have great news from the word of God. You can experience freedom in Jesus Christ. Do you see? I want to tell you some great news here, but in order to do that, I've got to go to some tough news It's going to end up being great news. I want you to see the gospel here because Joshua 7 closes with a judgment of Achan. The punishment he he receives is is actually brutal. Uh, First of all, we see something that always is the case with sin. Uh, Achan's sin tarnishes the legacy of his extended family. Did you know that? So so, uh, it it mentions in verse 18, his descendants, Achan, Achan, son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, the tribe of Judah. So all all those who went before him. They've been tarnished because of his sin. But also, he brought his family into the compromise, so it hindered his household. It's almost impossible to live in sin and it not impact, have ripple effects on those closest to you and beyond. And so he brought his family into the compromise. If you read through, you'll see that they all died. Say, well, why? They were complicit in the sin. There was no way that he hid these goods without his family knowing about it. And so we have this really rough ending 
reminding us of the high price of sin. But I want you to notice something. Achan was put to death in the valley of Achor, it says. You know what that means? It simply means the valley of trouble. Achan sinned, and because of his sin, he entered into the valley of trouble, and he received the just payment that was due. Now, here's the good news of the gospel. When you look through the eyes of the gospel at this, you understand. What did Jesus do? Jesus entered into the valley of trouble. Jesus, another descendant of the tribe of Judah, entered into the valley of trouble for you, and he took the just payment for sin so that we have a choice. We can either self-pay for that sin like Achan did, or we can allow Jesus to have paid for that sin and accept his just payment for that sin and receive forgiveness for sure, forever. Do you see that that's available to anyone who would call on the name of Jesus today? And that's really good news because it means no matter what you are going through, you can have freedom. It also means no matter what you've experienced in your past, listen to me, listen, on the authority of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you don't have to dig your way out of that sin so that someday you can be approved by God. But because of what Jesus has done, you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and so we can begin that journey of freedom today. You see, that's the power of Jesus. So what's, what's an appropriate response to this message? Let's, let's think about some questions that we need to ask. First of all, are you caught up in sin right now? Maybe secret sin. I want to challenge you to confess that sin today. Not only to confess it to the Lord, but find somebody that you trust in your life and get out of that anonymity trap and say, listen, I, I know that you know I'm not perfect and, and I know you're not perfect, but under Christ, we, we can move on. But I want to experience freedom from this. I, I need to tell you. I need to tell you what I'm struggling with, what I'm challenged with, and just lay it out there. It doesn't mean you need to go, you know, blog it, you know, and tell the world, but you need to tell somebody in the body of Christ what you're walking through. And it'll be amazing when the freedom that you can feel when the light comes on and you're not living in that darkness anymore. Are you overcome with guilt about past sin? You need to confess it to the Lord and experience the grace that he offers. Walk in freedom. Have you built safeguards of purity into your life in whatever area that you know that the enemy might be trying to entrap you? Today is a good day to commit to that. Say, Lord, as you give me the grace and the wisdom to do it, Lord, I want to have some boundaries in my life that are appropriate so that I can experience joy and freedom. And most importantly, have you given your heart to Jesus I wonder whether you came today and you know that you've never trusted Christ as Savior and Lord. That's absolutely the place to begin. It has to start there. And I wonder whether somebody here today has never trusted him. And today is going to be the day of new life. Let's run to Jesus. Would you bow with me, church? Heavenly Father, I pray that in this holy moment as we respond to your word, God, you would call us to decision. And Holy Spirit, that you would speak to each heart and show us the next step that we need to take so that we can walk in the freedom that you intended for your people to walk in. Thank you for your word, God. Thank you for for sharing with us even the hard things so that we can know the joy that you have for us. And God, I especially pray for anyone who's within the sound of my voice who's never trusted Christ as Savior and Lord. God, I pray that this would be the day that their lives would change. We ask this, Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, amen.